on to Studio Insights with Bell Vista Studios. That is us. We've got Victoria, we've got Hannah, we've got me, Kim. Welcome. Um, this is an opportunity for us to go deeper into things that we've been talking about as a team to embed our learning, to learn and extend our learning from each other that we might have observed each other doing. Um, and it's also an opportunity for you to join us on that journey and learn with us. So today, my question for the team is, we've been learning a lot about communication recently. Um, communication from how we structure emails, how we talk on the phone, how we talk in meetings, how we structure our social media posts. So everything's getting very kind of clear and into a process. What tips or insights have you had through the things that we've been learning and applying to how we do things? You go first, Vic. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I guess because I've been focusing more on like the social media side of things um, rather than emails and that kind of thing. Um, but I guess like to get to the point where we can make a process, it's always like doing lots of research first, um, like figuring out what works, which is just basically us looking at um, like other accounts or blogs or articles or anything like that. Um, that kind of lay it out for us where we think like that looks really good or that would appeal to me if I was scrolling through mm -hmm. um, and then just trying to find patterns across those kinds of things so um, how are they actually laying out their communication um, and it's looking at like multiple accounts like YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram um, and just anyone that we kind of are interested in and have picked up that the way that they're communicating is effective to us um, yeah. and we think it would be effective to other people as well um, for things that we post. So yeah, I guess doing lots of research, try to pick up on patterns that we think work, um, sitting down, like discussing it all together. Um, Cause obviously it helps having more than one person's opinion of what works or what doesn't work. Um, and yeah, I guess just having, again, like the communication, like having a chat about it and figuring out what kind of things we all agree on or what like differences there might be between us. Um, and yeah, then I guess like agreeing on what we all think is best that we want to put out um, and recording it, but actually like recording it in detail. So if we want to make a post, it's like the first sentence is this, the second sentence is this, the third one is this. Um, so we're all on the same page. We all know what kind of things, like how we exactly we want to communicate for the company basically, because um, we are all on the same team and we want <laughs> yeah. to be on the same page. So yeah, I guess doing the research, um, having a chat, and then actually recording it clearly. Yeah, and, and what you mean by recording is we've got that clear process that we can all yeah. access. And yeah. just, we even have example scripts. Like this is like, and this is what I wanted to ask you about because I think there's a lot of similarities between the posts and storyboarding and the instructional design process and what we do in emails and stuff like that. So <laughs> what we've identified at the very basic level is it needs a start, middle and end. Do you want to take us through that structure of the things that we might include in there? Because that's what we broke it down to. And then we have examples of this is how you start. And it, with that start, middle and end is referring to motivation. Why should someone care? Adding value. So that's very related to instructional design. And then at the end is a call to action. So do you want to take us through what has been revealed? And those yeah. transferable <laughs> skills. Um, so yeah, for the start where we want to like motivate people to read more or 
for the transferable thing, like is learn more. Um, starting with something that like we think will engage people, but also show them what the outcome is. So it could be a question like, do you want to know how to, I don't know, have, have the best graphic designs, like graphic design skills or something like that. Some kind of question where they know if like they want the answer to that, they need to swipe across or they need to click to the next slide in the e-learning or something like that. Um, so just trying to get like that buy-in, I guess, from them to want to find out more from us. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, questions like that, or it could just be statements that we think will pique their interest a bit. Um, and for those statements, it's usually good to write something about a challenge that they might be facing. Um, Cause then they obviously want to know like what the solution would be to that. Um, so starting off with that and then the middle section would expand on that and like we might offer advice or um, that's kind of like where we would add value to show and to prove that wait like we have the answer or actually give them whatever the answer is and explain what like help them understand why that is the solution to the initial challenge that drew them in yeah. um, and then the call to action at the end would be whatever we want them to do. So some of the, it might just be a question we ask them or we want responses if we want like that interaction with them. Mm -hmm. um, or it could be asking them to go off and do like, for Lenny, it could be asking them to go and take action on a certain thing and what we suggest that they do. Um, yeah, or just like a reflection thing, really something for them to consider moving yeah. forward, I guess. And some of, it's interesting because a lot of it, like we went out and looked at social media and who are people doing it really well that we feel compelled and inspired by mm -hmm. and continuously engage in their accounts personally. And then if I think back to the recent um, new product on the Creator Hub, which is writing effective scenario questions, it follows the same structure. And that call to action, call to action at the end is like, get the learner to reflect, give them a stretch assignment. So that's another call to action that we're starting to put into our social media. Cause I think in the beginning we used to just be like, are you having this challenge? Here's some of our tips, but we didn't allow if we apply learning to our posts and our posts are learning for our community. Mm -hmm. We weren't stretching them or we weren't giving them the opportunity to add and have that social learning happening by saying, drop your tips into the comment, or do you have something to share that will help others on this? So I like, I'm liking how it's all kind of coming together and the transferable skills from how you structure, like as an Instagram post that we do is, is learning. That's why we put it out to help educate other people. So we should be applying what we know from instructional design to how we communicate on, um, social media as well so if you guys jump onto creatorhub.belvistastudios.com you can actually get that how to write effective scenarios guide it's free and you can find things like tips sort of like this as well the stretch assignments and stuff like that how to write feedback on scenario questions cool thank you vic that's cool what do you have what are you reflecting on hannah when it comes to communication <laughs> I think for me, like the social social media stuff is really great, but there's also the emails that I've been learning a lot about recently. So how to, when we get an email from a client, how do we use instructional design to figure out how to solve the problem? And it sounds like you go really in depth, like it's just an email. But I think for me and what I've been learning through you is that it's not just an email. You actually need to look at it. You need to pull it apart and you need to figure out what, 
the problem is that you're trying to solve. Mm. Um, so for example, last week we got an email and my automatic response was to just go along with what the client had said. And you were like, no, like you need to stop. We need to use instructional design and figure out what the problem is and what's going to be the best action or response to help us move forward in the project. And I think that's a really nice way of seeing it. Mm. So when you get an email, stop and take the time to read what the client has said, look at the facts and pull apart the information so you understand exactly what they're trying to communicate. Mm. And if you're not sure what they're trying to communicate, find out. Don't just assume that the client means a certain thing. Make sure that you really understand what they're communicating to you. Yeah. And then even in the, like the response that you create to send back to the client, I've been learning how to do that really well and breaking it apart and making sure that it's really clear what I'm communicating to them and they know exactly what they need to do. Yeah. Um, and I think another part of it is through sending this email, what response am I going to get from the client? Is it really clear what response I'm going to get from them? And is that going to help us move forward? So the email that we did last week, we had two options. So we said, okay, so we understand like this is the situation that we're facing. We tried yeah. to make sure we didn't frame it as a problem because that was one your feedback for me. Don't frame it as a problem. Let's um, frame it as what solution are we going to work, like work towards? Yeah. So, and then just having it really clear, like these are the two options. You've got option A or option B. Let us know which option works best for you because that makes it much easier for them to respond. They don't have to think as much. They just say, okay, so I've got these two options. And then through that response, we can move forward in the project. So I think that's really cool. Like just little things like that and applying instructional design to how you communicate to clients can really help you be more efficient. And I think it saves you time in the end. You're not spending time going back and forth and not moving forward with the project. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my reflections on structuring emails and how you communicate with clients. Mm, that's cool. I do think um, it's almost like that options. It was I was just thinking it's um, like a multiple choice question yeah. um, that yeah. we're giving them, but it yeah. it is like because we need them to move forward and we don't want to have to make them think. We're trying to take that apart, that role mm. or that responsibility from them because we can kind of predict. And it, it's like we empathize and we put ourselves in the shoes of our learner. So in this instance, we were putting ourselves in the shoes of our customer to go where might they how would they feel if they received this and I remember going read this and think how would you how would you be defensive would you be open to it would you be supportive like what would you feel if you received this email and what action would you take afterwards um, and then tweaking it to make sure that we're moving towards that goal which was what we were talking about last week and everything's kind of tying together where have a goal <laughs> current state close the gap and that's what we did in that email um, I think the things that I am trying to be conscious of in terms of communication is like, I have been quite intentional in say, if I have a meeting with a client, like it's got to have a purpose and we need to be moving forward, not a meeting for the sake of a meeting or a phone call for the sake of a phone call. So I've always been quite good at having an intent for the conversations um, and having intent with anyone that I'm speaking with. But the next I'm taking, the thing that I, my intent at the moment is to catch my ego um, and to also empathize better. So 
I tend to like, I think where what we're doing is so brilliant and we have like a proven process and I'm like, we always get really good feedback from clients. And if something doesn't, if someone doesn't understand that or whatever, like we haven't communicated the process that we're doing, that we're going to get to the end result, just let us do our thing in between. We're going to get there a different way that you would traditionally do it is me wanting to be like, off and let us do our thing like because what we do is like it works and we get results all the time we get really good feedback and so I'm like trying to like really hold myself and be like Kim okay watch your ego in this conversation <laughs> that it's not coming in and try and becoming defensive against what the client is saying so it's saying okay hear the client out listen um to what they're saying listen to what the problem is, which is what is Hannah was talking about in the emails. And that's what Victoria was talking about in the social media posts. Cause we're saying, do you have this challenge or do you want to learn about this? Cause we know that this is the problem that we're trying to solve. So being clear on what is it that the client is trying to identifying as their problem right now or their goal is another way of saying it. And then listening for that. And then basically trying to make the link between what they say to this is the goal that we're trying to achieve as the project. And how can I stop and pause in the moment <laughs> and slow down time to catch my own ego, to not jump in and defend and go, yeah, but that's what we're doing anyway. We're just doing it a different way, but trying to re cause they were doing that, but they're not getting it. So how can I refocus the words in my brain and how I communicate outwards and the tone that I use and the language that they used to help make them feel comfortable that we're on that journey is just going a different way. So that's been really interesting um, and still in the process of that. But my, what I do is anytime I'm about to go into a phone call or a meeting, I say intent, be curious because when I'm curious that, that just demolishes my ego. So I don't come from that defensive space. So that's why I use the language, be curious. And then I use phrases like help me understand or leave silence or listen. And that slows down the conversation so that I have time to now do this matrix thing in my head that I'm learning that doesn't come naturally yet to then move us and reframe or get us back on track or help them understand that we're where we need to be. That's a really good point. I think for me, <laughs> um, I think it's like for me thinking about that communication and you are very good at connecting the dots in your head, but I know we were talking yesterday and it makes it clear for me that it's like you have to apply instructional design to figure out the solution to the problem. And then you've, and while you're doing applying instructional design, you've got all these different things happening, which is what happens when we apply instructional design. We've got all this different content. Some of it's relevant, some of it's not. And I think when the client tells you lots of things, you have to try and figure out what is relevant, what isn't, and what's going to help you meet the goal. So there's that element. And then I think there's also the communication side of things, which we were talking about yesterday. So it's like balancing that okay, I've connected the dots in my head and I'm applying instructional design and I know where we need to get. And I know where I need to get the client to from A to B, but then it's also the communication style and how am I going to help them get from A to B using the communication techniques that I know so they don't get defensive and they 
they're on board with the solution and they understand what you're trying to say. So it's, for me, I'm sort of seeing it as the two different things that you're balancing, the instructional design part and the communication part. And I think for me personally, and this may resonate with people listening, Chris Doe has been really good at helping me with the communication side of things. So he has um, his part of the future, F-U-T-U-R, and he has a YouTube channel and he does um, role plays and um, yeah, speaks to other people and they sort of role play as if it's a client and him speaking. And he just sort of helps you to, he has like scripts in a way. So like, if you listen to the way he says things, you're like, oh, that would work really well. And you can use what he says. So I found for the communication side of things, Christo has been really helpful. Yeah. So yeah. Well, in just to summarize this, I'd say that what is useful for us is always just awareness of this kind of stuff and then picking one thing to action. So viewers at home, you should pick one <laughs> thing to focus on um, and put that into action. And you can re-listen to this one. If you re-listen to, or go and listen to the previous one, it's actually the conversations are kind of, we're gonna start saying the same things over and over. Um, but because it is like, that's what instructional design is about, is taking something complex and making it simple. And the more we learn about how everything we do in our whole world, even as like human beings just in alive, is things are very basic and there's processes that you can follow to get to the end result that you're trying to get to. So yeah, re-listen, pick one thing, put it into action. Hannah, have you got questions or things that you want to chat about? Uh, yeah, so I had a question for you and it ties in really well with the client communication and the way we do posts and all that. But my question was, um, I've noticed when clients email us or call, you make a decision as to whether we should email them back or call them back. Mm -hmm. And you, yesterday you said you just feel, you just know whether you need to do one or the other. And for me, I'm not 100% sure yet. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, like we should email back. And you're like, no, we need to do a phone call. Yep. And I just like to understand. And I think others listening, it would be useful to know when to do one or the other and why you do that. Yeah. Okay. I think it stems from number one. I have a big value, personal value on time. I don't like to waste time. So therefore I'm thinking, do I need to be on a phone call that could be 20 minutes when it's a two minute email or even a five minute, or even if it takes me 15 minutes to draft an email, but I'm going to save five minutes rather than a phone call. And the return on that phone call versus the email is the same. Well, then I'm going to save myself five minutes. So it's being very aware that time is important to me. Time is also important as a business owner or someone doing a task. Because if we have a task that's booked for seven hours, which is a full day and phone calls come in, how am I meant to achieve my task if I need to deliver that to the client by 5 p.m.? So I'm always protective of that as well. Um, and then, so I think that's where it stems from. What I do then is it's always like, what, why, why is, everything needs to have a purpose and intention, you know? Some people, they like to communicate a lot through the phone. Some people prefer to be on email and that's fine. So you got to know that. But I think you can look for patterns again of anytime I've had a phone call with this person in the past, it hasn't been intentional. They've just, they haven't thought, they've picked up the phone in reaction to something 
and they're thinking through things on the phone with me and I'm just their sounding board. And that's, I don't want to take that responsibility on. I'm not a counselor for like people, for example, in one aspect of it. Um, I can think of sometimes like I've noticed, so I'm looking for patterns. Is this person valuing my time? Are they valuing their own time? Are they valuing the project time, the organization's time, everyone's time? And if not, why not? So I remember a client a while ago, they basically, they pick up the phone for any small thing. Um, and I'm like, that was communicated. Oh, sorry. They pick up the phone after I learned the pattern of they're not ringing me with an intent or a goal. They're just ringing me in reaction. And so you pick up the pattern and then you go, well, I'm not answering the phone anymore because it's a waste of my time. And then, so I wouldn't answer the phone on the initial ring because I think there's this thing called learned helplessness and I'm very conscious of not <laughs> um, doing that for people. So what I'd do is just not pick it up. And to me, that's not bad customer service. I'm actually helping them to think. And then what I would do is I'd ring back, maybe if they rang in the morning, I'd ring back late that afternoon at like 10 to five or something where the day is closed I know that they're going to want to leave. So they're not going to bang on on the phone. They're going to be intentional so that we have a time limit because I might not have been good at the time at ending the conversation. So then they go on and ramble maybe about the weekend or some other thing that's happening in their world. Whereas I'm like, well, I have to deliver this project for you. So that's more, that's my priority. And um, so what I would do then is um, I'd ring them back in the afternoon. They go, oh, don't worry, Kim, I figured it out. I'm like, okay, cool. Literally 20 second phone call. So then that started to happen. Keep ringing because that's their pattern. They ring in reaction to something. I'd give them time and in that time they would have worked it out. So now the client doesn't ring anymore. And when they do ring me, I know it's important. So I pick up straight away. And um, because they've learned now to have intention, to have purpose with that phone call. So there's that aspect of it. And the other thing is thinking about like, what are we going to get out of a phone call that can't be resolved? Like anyone that works in an office knows the complaint of that meeting could have been an email. So why are we not doing that with our interactions with people anyway? Why does it have to be a phone call? Sometimes a phone call is really quick because you can just go, hey, I'm just looking for blah, 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 what's going on there? And then you get the, a bit more context and you need the context that would take someone longer to type back to you in Skype or Slack or an email. So it's thinking about what's the return that I need from the information that I'm seeking. And then okay. I guess, do you want me to go on deeper with that one or? Yeah, yeah, keep going. It's really good. So it is like specifically on the return stuff or continue with the communication how i knew to ring this time or what do you want to know more of um that's it all makes sense i think a part for me that i'm thinking about is the rapport building mm, yeah and so, i know you mentioned that and yeah i'm just wondering when do you think oh like of because i know sometimes a phone call can be good if you want to build that rapport with the client and connect with them if you feel like something's not quite right so yeah. Is that another thing that you consider as well? Yeah, so I think our role is, I always think with clients, clients have engaged us because they're time poor, they don't have the skills to do what they need to do internally, so they want us to take on that responsibility, which means a lot of the time we're not part of their team, we're partnering with their team. 
So as a partner with their team, that means that we are doing our responsibilities towards the goal and at certain, and they're doing their responsibilities, but they also have other priorities, just like we have other client projects. That's why we have project schedules. And at times through the process, we need to connect and then we need to go back out into our worlds and continue on and then connect. So we're not there on demand and they're not there on demand either because otherwise they would employ someone internally like a contractor to do the job. So that's me respecting the client. Um, and from there, you know, like it's about the rapport part of it is again, is it intentional? I am at the belief that we are nice humans and we are doing the best that we can to the best of our ability at all times. So when I trust that, I don't think we need to build rapport because we have it naturally. So I don't spend time trying to build rapport. You're gonna like, the first time you watch a video of us, if this is it, you know whether you like us or whatever it is, you know, like, or there's something funky about what someone does, or I don't like the way the person does that, or they don't connect with me. You know that kind of stuff, but I think, and that's okay. And then there's the opposite where you connect straight away and you're on, they're like, they're my tribe, like they're my people, like I get a coffee outside of work with that person. So rapport is an instant thing anyway. And I think that we are good enough humans anyway to build rapport from the get-go. So that the minute someone hears our tone of voice or receives a smiley face or a ha-ha in an email from us, that's our personality and that's who we are. And I just trust who we are as humans. So I'm not putting a lot of effort into build rapport um, because then I think it's people that don't trust us um, and they want something different from us. They want a transactional relationship, whereas we are a bit more relational, even though we don't spend too much time building the relationship because I think it comes naturally with the way that we operate. So for me, then, if you think about you know, there's people that want to jump on the phone all the time, not intentional. They just want to be on there. And I'm like, no, we don't have time. We don't have time. Are you going to achieve your task, Hannah? And you're like, fuck no. So then I'm like, well, I want to protect your time because at this point, you're not comfortable to have full client calls, certain client calls by yourself. So that means it's my time as well. Is that a good use of our time? No. So I think the decision I was pushing back on you, you were like, you, we need to call this client. I'm like, we don't need to call the client. We'll email them. And then you kept doing it. And then what happened is again, patterns. So we get clues, we get red flags of little things along the line that it's that trust quotient, I think it's called trust. Like it's a Stephen Covey type thing, but basically you get, you build trust, you build trust, you build trust. And then a big thing can take away trust and then you got to rebuild it again. But you build trust, you build trust by delivering on time, clear communication, delivering quality products. And even if this is just broken down to the project schedule, like one particular project that you're working on. So you build trust, you build trust, you build trust. And then there's like a little something that's not perfect. For example, an SME didn't give the client what they needed to give us what they needed. Now it's not on us, but it's reflected on the whole project. That's a bad thing that's happened. So then trust goes back a tiny bit. I'm like, that's okay, it's only a tiny bit. We'll reap, we will be able to make it up because we'll still deliver on time. We can still get the good results that we need to by delivering on time, um, asking the SME to give us extra stuff, pushing back so we can massage the, 
the experience to make it still go forward in trust again. Um, but at times, red flags or little things come in where that trust has come down too many notches and then it's like it's time for report because you can hear in someone's email if they're stressed if we think it's on track but they're putting the project on hold or they're questioning something that we're doing but we are like it's on track we would expect this at this point so there's little things where you go i can tell in the tone of that email or the question that they're asking um, or the missed deadline that something's not right on their end and now that it's at risk of damaging our reputation or the reputation of the project or this project being a difficult project, for example. And, and I wouldn't say this happens with our things. I'm using very like distinct language. But even if that's like 5% where the client might say, this project like it's a pain in the ass. I don't know. I don't want that to reflect on Bell Vista Studios. You know, when I know that it, it's going good as per the process, there's some other dynamics playing out. And this person is stressed for some reason. And they probably just need, if we think about life, you come home from a hard day's work, you just want to vent, you want to get something off your chest. So then I think, okay, well, maybe they just need someone to listen to them. And that's what played out the other day is there was red flags, those little cues that had built up over time that I was like, now it's time to call because I can tell in the tone of the email and I can tell in the last three emails that this person is panicking for some reason, um, which is unclear to us. And it's, it's strange because they don't align because we think things are on track and we're like feeling great about the project, but there's something going on over here because they're not feeling the same. So let me check in, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And in that conversation, it was very clear, like they vented and then we just kind of listened and then we just offered some insights or whatever. And eventually that person that was panicking made the link themselves back to, oh, so I shouldn't be worried about this at all. We're on schedule. It's where it needs to be. We, you have what you need to do what you need to do. But what they've done is built all these stories in their head. Anyway, so what it comes back to is looking for little red flags and how long away, and it's a gut feel as well. Um, but I guess the gut feel is broken down into trust is being built, trust is being built. We've lost a little bit of trust, um, but we've built it back up. We've lost a little bit of trust, a little bit of trust. We've got to save. We're going to have to work really hard to get back on track with trust. Now it's time for rapport. That's really cool. That's Thank you. Friendships for the sake of my question. <laughs> if you're a good yep. human, I mean that. That's cool. I feel like I can see it now and it's something I'll start working on is seeing the client relationship as a bigger picture. So thinking about, like you were saying, like we've lost a bit of trust there, but then we're building it here. And rather than seeing every single interaction of all, oh, should I call them or email them? Thinking about the bigger picture and the patterns that you've seen and then making that decision. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. Thank you. That was really good. I'll get there. <laughs> Yeah, it's all like we're just learning, hey? You're just observing yeah. and learning the dynamics of human beings. <laughs> cool.
Well, I think that's a good place to end this conversation on, because it's been heavily focused on communication. There's a lot of stuff for people to digest. So thank you team for continuing to learn and embed your learning and share your insights with us. Thank you everyone that has watched our video. Uh, we love you here at Bell Vista Studios and we do these things for you. So give us some love, like it, share, tell someone about it if it's gonna add value. But the main thing is you need to reflect and pick something that you're gonna start actioning. And we'll see you in the next Studio Insights with the Bell Vista Studios.